Chapters one to four of Book two of Toilers of the Sea, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part one, Sieur Clubin, by Victor Hugo, translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book two, Mess Lettieri. Chapter One A Troubled Life But a Quiet Conscience. Mess Lettieri, a conspicuous man in Saint Sampson, was a redoubtable sailor. He had voyaged a great deal. He had been a cabin boy, seaman, topmast man, second mate, mate, pilot, and captain. He was at this period a ship owner. There was not a man to compare with him for general knowledge of the sea. He was brave in putting off to ships in distress. In foul weather, he would take his way along the beach, scanning the horizon. "'What have we yonder?' he would say. "'Some craft in trouble?' Whether it were an interloping Weymouth fisherman, a cutter from Aurigny, a Biscine from Courcelles, the yacht of some nobleman, an English craft or a French one, poor or rich, mattered little." he jumped into a boat called together two or three strong fellows or did without them as the case may be pushed out to sea rose and sank and rose again on rolling waves plunged into the storm and encountered the danger face to face then afar off amid the rain and lightning and drenched with water he was sometimes seen upright in his boat like a lion with a foaming mane often he would pass whole days in danger amidst the waves the hail and the wind making his way to the sides of foundering vessels during the tempest and rescuing men and merchandise at night after feats like these he would return home and pass his time in knitting stockings for fifty years he led this kind of life from ten years of age to sixty so long did he feel himself still young at sixty he began to discover that he could no longer lift with one hand the great anvil at the forge of varclin this anvil weighed three hundredweight at length rheumatic pains compelled him to be a prisoner he was forced to give up his old struggle with the sea to pass from the heroic into the patriarchal stage to sink into the condition of a harmless worthy old fellow happily his rheumatism attacks happened at the period when he had secured a comfortable competency these two consequences of labour are natural companions at the moment when men become rich how often comes paralysis the successful crowning of a laborious life old and weary men say among themselves let us rest and enjoy life the population of islands like guernsey is composed of men who have passed their lives in going about their little fields or in sailing round the world these are the two classes of the labouring people the labourers on the land and the toilers of the sea mess lethierry was of the latter class he had had a life of hard work he had been upon the continent was for some time a ship carpenter at rochefort and afterwards at set we have just spoken of sailing round the world he had made the circuit of all france getting work as a journeyman carpenter and had been employed at the great salt works of franche comte 
Though a humble man, he had led a life of adventure. In France he had learned to read, to think, to have a will of his own. He had had a hand in many things, and in all he had done had kept a character for probity. At bottom, however, he was simply a sailor. The water was his element. He used to say that he lived with the fish when really at home. In short, his whole existence, except two or three years, had been devoted to the ocean. Flung into the water, as he said, he had navigated the great oceans, both of the Atlantic and the Pacific, but he preferred the channel. He used to exclaim enthusiastically, "'That is the sea for a rough time of it!' He was born at sea, and at sea would have preferred to end his days. After sailing several times round the world, and seeing most countries, he had returned to Guernsey, and never permanently left the island again. Henceforth his great voyages were to Granville and Saint-Malo. Lethierry was a Guernsey man, that peculiar amalgamation of Frenchman and Norman, or rather English he had within himself this quadruple extraction merged and almost lost in that far wider country the ocean throughout his life and wheresoever he went he had preserved the habits of a norman fisherman all this however did not prevent his looking now and then into some old book of taking pleasure in reading in knowing the names of philosophers and poets and in talking a little now and then in all languages chapter two a certain predilection gilliatt was a child of nature mess lethierry was the same lethierry's uncultivated nature however was not without certain refinements he was fastidious upon the subject of women's hands in his early years while still a lad passing from the stage of cabin boy to that of sailor he had heard the admiral de suffren say there goes a pretty girl but what horrible great red hands an observation from an admiral on any subject is a command a law an authority far above that of an oracle the exclamation of admiral de suffren had rendered lethierry fastidious and exacting in the matter of small and white hands his own hand a large club fist of the colour of mahogany was like a mallet or a pair of pincers for a friendly grasp and tightly closed would almost break a paving-stone he had never married he had either no inclination for matrimony or had never found a suitable match that perhaps was due to his being a stickler for hands like those of a duchess such hands are indeed somewhat rare among the fishermen's daughters at poor bale it was whispered however that at rochefort on the charente he had once upon a time made the acquaintance of a certain grisette realizing his ideal she was a pretty girl with graceful hands but she was a vixen and had also a habit of scratching woe betide any one who attacked her yet her nails though capable at a pinch of being turned into claws were of a cleanliness which left nothing to be desired it was these peculiarly bewitching nails which had first enchanted and then disturbed the peace of lethierry who fearing that he might one day become no longer master of his mistress had decided not to conduct that young lady to the nuptial altar another time he met at aurigny a country girl who pleased him 
he thought of marriage when one of the inhabitants of the place said to him i congratulate you you will have for your wife a good fuel-maker lethierry asked the meaning of this it appeared that the country people at origny have a certain custom of collecting manure from their cow-houses which they throw against the wall where it is left to dry and fall to the ground cakes of dried manure of this kind are used for fuel and are called croipillots a country girl of origny has no chance of getting a husband if she is not a good fuel-maker but the young lady's especial talent only inspired disgust in lethierry besides he had in his love matters a kind of rough country folks philosophy a sailor-like sort of habit of mind always smitten but never enslaved he boasted of having been in his youth easily conquered by a petticoat or rather a cotillon for what is nowadays called a crinoline was in his time called a cotillon a term which in his use of it signifies both something more and something less than a wife these rude seafaring men of the norman archipelago have a certain amount of shrewdness almost all can read and write on sundays little cabin boys may be seen in those parts seated upon a coil of ropes reading with book in hand from all time these norman sailors have had a peculiar satirical vein and have been famous for clever sayings it was one of these men the bold pilot Caripel, who said to montgomery when he sought refuge in jersey after the unfortunate accident in killing henry the second at a tournament with a blow of his lance tet fol a casse tet feet another one touzeau a sea-captain at saint brelade was the author of that philosophical pun erroneously attributed to camus après la mort les papes deviennent papillons et les sires deviennent sirons chapter three the old sea language the mariners of the channel are the true ancient gauls the islands which in these days become more and more english preserved for many ages their old french character the peasant in sark speaks the language of louis the fourteenth forty years ago the old classical nautical language was to be found in the mouths of the sailors of jersey and origny when amongst them it was possible to imagine oneself carried back to the sea-life of the seventeenth century from that speaking-trumpet which terrified admiral hiddy a philologist might have learnt the ancient technicalities of manoeuvring and giving orders at sea in the very words which were roared out to his sailors by jean bart the old french maritime vocabulary is now almost entirely changed but was still in use in jersey in eighteen twenty a ship that was a good plier was bon boulanier one that carried a weather-helm in spite of her foresails and rudder was un vaso ardent to get under way was prendre air to lie to in a storm at capayer to make fast running rigging was faire dormant to get to windward faire chapelle to get the cable tight faire test to be out of trim etre en pantaine to keep the sails full porter plein these expressions have fallen out of use to-day we say louvoyer for to beat to windward they said louvoyer for naviguer sail they said naviguer 
for virer vent devant to tack donner vent devant for aller de l'avant to make headway tailler de l'avant for tirer d'accord haul together aller d'accord for déraper to weigh anchor déplanter for embraquer to haul tight abraquer for taquer cleats beaton for burin toggles tap for balancing forelift mainlift etc valancine for tribord starboard stribord for les hommes de car à babord men of the larboard watch les babordis tourville wrote to hockincourt nous avons singlé sailed for singlé instead of la rafale squall le rafale instead of bossoir cathead boussoir instead of dross truss drousse instead of loffe to luff faire une olive instead of elanger to lay alongside allonger instead of fort breeze stiff breeze servant instead of joual stock of an anchor ya instead of suit storeroom fosse such at the beginning of this century was the maritime dialect of the channel islands ango would have been startled had he heard the speech of a jersey pilot whilst everywhere else the sails faseyant shivered in these islands they barbeyant a sort de vent sudden shift of wind was a folevant the old methods of mooring known as la valture and la portugaise were alone used and such commands as jure chac and basse vilt might still be heard while a sailor of granville was already employing the word clan for sheave-hold one of saint-aubin or of saint-samson still stuck to his canal de pulio what was called boudalange upper fultuk at st malo was oreille d'in at st hélier mesletiri as did the duc de vibon called the shear of the decks la tonture and the corker's chisel la patarasse it was with this uncouth sea dialect in his mouth that duquesne beat de reuter that duguay truin defeated wasnaer and that tourville in sixteen eighty one poured a broadside into the first galley which bombarded algiers it is now a dead language the idiom of the sea is altogether different duperey would not be able to understand suffering the language of french naval signals is not less transformed there is a long distance between the four pennants red white yellow and blue of la bourdonne and the eighteen flags of these days which hoisted two and two three and three or four and four furnish for distance communication sixty-six thousand combinations are never deficient and so to speak foresee the unforeseen Chapter 4. One is vulnerable where one loves. Mesletiri's heart and hand were always ready, a large heart and a large hand. His failing was that admirable one, self-confidence. He had a certain fashion of his own of undertaking to do a thing. It was a solemn fashion. He said, I give my word of honour to do it, with God's help. That said, he went through with his duty. 
He put his faith in God, nothing more. His rare church-going was merely formal. At sea he was superstitious. Nevertheless, the storm had not yet arisen which could daunt him. One reason of this was his impatience of opposition. He could tolerate it neither from the ocean nor anything else. He meant to have his way. So much the worse for the sea if it thwarted him. It might try, if it would, but Mess Lethierry would not give in. A refractory wave could no more stop him than an angry neighbour. What he had said was said. What he planned out was done. He bent neither before an objection nor before the tempest. The word no had no existence for him, whether it was in the mouth of a man or in the angry muttering of a thundercloud. In the teeth of all he went on in his way. He would take no refusals. Hence his obstinacy in life and his intrepidity on the ocean. He seasoned his simple meal of fish soup for himself, knowing the quantities of pepper, salt, and herbs which it required, and was as well pleased with the cooking as with the meal. To complete the sketch of Lethierry's peculiarities, the reader must conjure a being to whom the putting on of a surtout would amount to a transfiguration, whom a landsman's greatcoat would convert into a strange animal one who standing with his locks blown about by the wind might have represented old jean bart but who in the landsman's round hat would have looked an idiot awkward in cities wild and redoubtable at sea a man with broad shoulders fit for a porter one who indulged in no oaths was rarely in anger whose voice had a soft accent which became like thunder in a speaking-trumpet a peasant who had read something of the philosophy of diderot and d'alembert a guernsey man who had seen the great revolution a learned ignoramus free from bigotry but indulging in visions with more faith in the white lady than in the holy virgin possessing the strength of polyphemus the perseverance of columbus with a little of the bull in his nature and a little of the child add to these physical and mental peculiarities a somewhat flat nose large cheeks a set of teeth still perfect a face filled with wrinkles and which seems to have been buffeted by the waves and subjected to the beating of the winds of forty years a brow in which the storm and tempest were plainly written an incarnation of a rock in the open sea add to this too a good-tempered smile always ready to light up his weather-beaten countenance and you have before you mess lethierry mess lethierry had two special objects of affection only their names were durand and desruchettes end of chapter four and book two reading by paul adams www.yawnguy.com